0: Hello and welcome to this first of three bonus episodes of the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro, and our regular season may be done, but we have some special episodes to preview some of the featured and keynote speakers from the upcoming OME 2021 virtual conference in May. On today's episode, we'll hear from Gail Burrell, Chris Sertam, Marion Small, Dan Meyer, and to start off, it's going to be Ron Lancaster. Ron was our first guest on this season way back in October, and he's back as a featured speaker here at OME 2021. So let's hear about Ron's featured
1: session. Well, hi there, it's uh, Ron Lancaster. I'm an associate professor at uh, the University of Toronto. I teach at the Teachers College at OISE. Got hired there in 2004. And before that, uh, I was a classroom teacher for over 20 years
0: now ron you're one of our featured speakers at ome 2021 and you have a session called a math walk at the cne and this intrigues me a lot so i'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah absolutely david by the way this is going to be my 39th consecutive ome conference as a speaker so i'm, I'm quite uh, happy about that because it means that i've been involved you know, with a number of great conferences, I've learned a lot of new things and I've met a lot of new people.
0: I think at 40, you get a gold star. Really? I'm not sure. Yes, don't quote me on that.
1: Okay, well then I'm going to submit a proposal for the year after.
0: Excellent. Uh, And that's in Windsor, by the way. It
1: is, isn't it? So please invite me, David, or I'll submit a proposal.
0: Got it. Anyways, tell us about the CNE. Yeah.
1: So. so the idea that, you know, I was going to do before the conference went virtual is I was going to take a group of people on a math walk at the CNE, where we were going to walk around to different stations, different places, and we were going to look for the math. We were going to develop math questions, you know, and do this in a very collaborative way. I was going to go to the CNE ahead of time so that I had a bit of a game plan you know, so that I had some interesting places that we could go to. But uh, it was going to be very much collaborative in that, uh, you know, all of us would be contributing to the questions and I would be the spark for getting that going. The conference has gone virtual. And uh, so it's gonna be a little bit different this year. I won't actually have, you know, a group of teachers with me. What I'm hoping to do is to live stream it. So uh, I'd like to have one or two people with me, you know, if this is permitted, and um, to walk around with a camera, and um, and just you know look at a number of settings. I'd like to be able to, you know, talk about possible questions that students could could answer, and uh, and it, what I'd still like to do is to be a spark, and then people afterwards, you know, they'll be able to, you know, rewatch this. And think of their own questions. You know, if, if they had been with me or if their students were with them, you know, what would their questions be? And this is really a great location for this because, you know, many of the buildings at the c are are accessible. Um, you know, it's not a, a commercial area. Uh, you, you know, many, many parts of it aren't anyway. And there's also a lot of outdoor spaces that teachers can go to any time. So it's something where teachers might actually want to go do a math walk with their students. So that's the general idea, you know, that uh, I'm going to try and do with this, David.
0: So for for those of us who may or may not be familiar with a math walk, what what makes a walk a math walk?
1: Well, you know, that's a, a really good question. So, you know, the idea of a math walk and what makes this a math walk is that the primary focus of this is on mathematics? I mean, obviously, it's an attempt to have students get some exercise, which I think we all need. But um, but the idea is to actually go out, put on a pair of mathematical glasses. You know, of course, they're imaginary glasses, but we just look at the world through a mathematical lens. So so that's the whole focus of this. And you know, it depends on the teacher. It depends on the class. It can actually be more than a math walk. There actually could be lots of connections being made to history, to geography, to, um, to all sorts of different subjects, to science. But I think for me, I'm going to make the focus on, on a math walk. But that's what it makes. That's, that's why it's a math walk, because the focus is on looking for mathematics and developing math questions for students to do. You know, with the idea that, you know, teachers attending this session could go develop their own math walk, either at the CNE or anywhere for that matter.
0: Now, I know you have done many math walks, and I'm wondering if you can give me an example, give us an example of something that you would have seen that you could do some mathematics with.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, um, when we're on the CNE grounds, or when I'm there, there's going to be uh, a lot of flags. This is something that could be done anywhere, but there's a tremendous amount of mathematics involved in the design of flags. The when you when you look at them, the construction of flags. So the Canadian flag, the ratio is two to one, but there are other flags around the world that are a ratio of three to two you know there's a lot of geometry within those designs of those flags if you look at the flag of scotland for example it has you know all of these diagonal lines and it's got you know it's cut up into different regions and you know we can ask about um you know the relationship between the area of the areas of all of these different regions and and what would the flag look like if we actually change some of that would it still be pleasing so um, so that would be an example of something that we could do uh, that would involve flags. I often take my students out uh, into commercial areas uh, for my math walks. And I love to stop at a, at a shoe store. Because the moment you walk into a shoe store, there's just mathematics that is screaming at you. Uh, you know, if you just pick up a box of shoes and take a look at the, in fact, I'm looking at one right now. I've got a box here. The shoe size for this, it's men's shoes, is 8.5 USA. But in the UK, it's 6.5. And in Europe, it's a size 40. So there's all sorts of questions here about, you know, what is the relationship between the shoe size in the UK in comparison to the shoe size in America or the shoe size in Europe? you know, in comparison to these, you know, other places as well. So there's a couple examples for you of, of how, you know, it's pretty easy to see the math. You just need to slow down and, and you know, be purposeful and just, just look around with that, you know, pair of mathematical glasses on and, and see things from a mathematical point of view.
0: Yes, math is certainly all around us. So, thanks for that description. I think that that I think would makes it quite intriguing to see how you take us through the CNE with our mathematical lenses on here. So, uh, we look forward to your session, and uh, thank you for talking to us uh, this time on OME Talks.
1: You're very welcome, David. Looking forward to the session.
0: That was Ron Lancaster, who is undeterred with the fact that we are virtual and he will be going remote and virtual at the CNE. This session will be on the Tuesday of the conference. Can't wait for that one. Up next is Chris Sertam.
2: I'm uh, Chris Sertam, and I'm a professor of mathematics education at the Faculty of Education at the University of Ottawa. So I'm involved in teaching uh, both in the teacher education program as well as teaching in the graduate program and working with graduate students. I also do quite a bit of research, and my area of research is really looking at mathematics teacher practice. And recognizing the complexity of that math teacher practice and um, the difficulty sometimes in terms of paying attention to all of the different mathematical ideas that surface in a class and thinking about ways to respond to that.
0: Okay, and you are one of our featured speakers at OME 2021, uh, and you're doing a session uh, called Mathematical Modeling, an opportunity for all students to engage in rich and meaningful mathematics. Can you tell us a little bit about about that?
2: Sure. Um, So I think, as many people know, uh, mathematical modeling has now appeared in the elementary mathematics curriculum, which I think is wonderful. And I am hoping that this session will help to clarify for teachers, first of all, what that mathematical mathematical modeling process looks like. Um, I think sometimes there can be a bit of confusion. Sometimes we use the term mathematical models to mean the kinds of concrete materials or models that we build about a mathematical idea, which I might call more representation. The process of mathematical modeling as it appears in the curriculum, as well as in in a lot of research around mathematical modeling, is really a process of taking what I might call um, a messy problem and trying to make sense of that problem and to create a model, which could be concrete, but it, it could be a table of values. It could be just a method of solution that gives us a bit of a, a way to solve that problem and to create some predictions. So one example I often use about what a mathematical model is is, is I know we've seen mathematical models uh, due to COVID, which, which uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that we needed that to be able to talk about mathematical modeling. But the example I often use is if we think about airlines and the way that they book tickets to a flight, one would assume that you would book uh, the number of tickets that they actually have seats for. But they actually use a mathematical model to determine how many tickets they might sell for a particular flight. And that's based on the time of day the flight's going, where that flight's going, and all kinds of other what I might call assumptions about human behavior and other behaviors to be able to come up with. So how many tickets should we sell? We know sometimes that mathematical model doesn't work. That's why when we're sitting in an airport, we hear the announcement that they're looking for two people to give up their seats. So uh, that's about the complexity of what we mean by mathematical models. It's a solution to a problem that doesn't necessarily have an answer that we can pin down because it's based on many different things. So sometimes, you know, using that example, I think teachers might think, yes, but what would this look like in grade one or two or five or eight? And so this session will really be talking about, so what does this process look like and what might it look like in an elementary or secondary school classroom? So in other words, it, it might really be looking at what are some tasks or sample problems that we might use. We uh, might brainstorm and have teachers brainstorm what are some tasks they already have that really lend themselves to mathematical modeling. And so basically, um, the session is really about what does mathematical modeling look like in a classroom? And I think then we have to think about how do we set it up? Um, How long might this take? Do we have checkpoints for students along the way? Um, How much should the teacher um, interfere in that process? Uh, What kinds of prompts would they give? And and I think, too, the, the big issue is, so what does this have to do with assessment. Um for me, mathematical modeling, I think it does allow uh, entry points for all students. I also like the idea that a mathematical model might cross strands. It's sitting right now in the algebra strand, but we know that it might cross a variety of strands. So for instance, in grade one, if we were looking at creating a, a solving the problem of how do we set up a lemonade stand. We know that there might be components that deal with financial literacy, with number sense, with collecting data, so the data strand. So there are many different um, strands that would come into play. So it allows for really a rich experience for students and and entry and to bring their assumptions and their understandings and their life experiences into that situation.
0: So you mentioned the fact that, you know, mathematical modeling is new to the elementary curriculum. I'm wondering if you can anticipate some issues that teachers might have when they're trying to implement mathematical modeling for the first time in their classes.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So I I think one thing is um, being able to find tasks or problems that uh, might lend themselves to mathematical modeling. So I think that that's one issue. And then um, I think that There might be useful to have a discussion about. So, what does this look like? How long might this take? How do we structure the student interactions? Do we do this as a whole class? Do we do this as a group? How much should we scaffold the learning? How much should we allow space for students to explore this idea and come up with their own models? How do we help students look at other students' models and be able to assess how well do they actually fit the situation um, that they were given? So I think that there are many different components. At the same time, I think that many teachers have experience with facilitating rich problem-solving tasks, so many of the things that would come into play would be very similar to the kinds of uh, pedagogical moves that teachers would make when they are facilitating um, rich problem-solving tasks.
0: Okay, so we look forward to hearing from you at our virtual OME 2021 in May. Thanks for talking to us today, uh, Chris.
2: Thank you. Uh, I look forward to being at that virtual conference and sharing some ideas, but more importantly, hearing about the ideas that teachers have to share too, because they are a great source of information.
0: That was Chris Surtam giving us a glimpse of what mathematical modeling is. Her featured session will happen on the Monday of the conference. Next up, is Gail Burrell talking about the importance of data.
3: Gail Burrell, I'm from uh, in the program of mathematics education at Michigan State University. I have been involved in mathematics, um, teaching and learning, and in teaching and learning statistics for many, many, many years, beginning with my experience as a high school Um, mathematics teacher in suburban Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have uh, done a variety of things, including written some papers. I served as president of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics and have done quite a few other things to help us all think hard about what it means to teach and to learn mathematics. So
0: then I think it makes sense that the title of your, your talk is Engaging All Students in Mathematics Through Data and Data Science. So, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your your upcoming session at OME 2021.
3: Sure. So, NCTM's Catalyzing Change for High School Mathematics suggests that the purposes for teaching mathematics and statistics are to expand professional opportunities, to understand and critique the world, and to experience the joy, wonder, and beauty of math and stats. And... Right now, the emergence of data science is an opportunity for us to move beyond the first goal, and in particular, focus on understanding and critiquing the world. This can be a vehicle for motivating students, for them to see math as useful, and for them to explore questions of interest, which is a step in developing their own mathematical identity. So trying to engage all students in experiences that they value and think are important is something that is integral to motivating them to wanting to learn mathematics. Uh, Investigating what is meant by herd immunity, for example, or what percent of the population needs to be vaccinated or already have the disease can help students understand decisions being made in the face of the pandemic. We can take time to explore gender disparity and income, which raises awareness of some social justice issues. Uh, My students actually at the beginning in Michigan State were kind of sheltered there. And even in Milwaukee, didn't really understand that there was inequity in income between male and female. Or even deciding how to rate soccer players or award prizes can make visible the importance that mathematics has in handling situations with units of different magnitude and trying to interpret and understand them. This approach gives students authority in choosing strategies and organizing their knowledge it makes them real players in what they're learning, which opens up the doors for more of them to engage in more mathematics. We'll talk just a little bit about some strategies for making this happen in the not only just using the data, but what are some things we should be doing with the data in our classrooms to make sure all kids are taking equal part in the conversation.
0: Now, I, I'm a big fan of data science. Uh, I have been for years. and I think that we're in a a time right now where probably more than ever having even just the general public be a little bit more knowledgeable about uh, data science is so important. Uh, I'm curious what you think about, I mean, we have so much data thrown at us right now. You, You mentioned the pandemic, but it seems like there's a lot of armchair data scientists now. Uh, and I'm wondering if you have an opinion about uh, the, the whether that's good or bad.
3: I think it's really good that people are interested in things that involve data. I think it makes it even more important that we as educators make sure that students know what to do with that data, that they understand when they hear results of, of a collection or analysis of data, or questions they might ask who sponsored the study, who organized the collection of the data, Um, was there any interest in um, in them on doing so, so what might introduce some bias in the results. I mean, all the things that you and I know are really important. The other piece of it that I think we've overlooked is the importance of teaching students to be just data literate, quantitatively, numerically literate. I was just reading something from the problems in identified in developmental math and um, community colleges in the United States. And one of the big things they point towards is the fact that students really don't know how to work with percents and ratios in real world contexts. And this is something that we have not really done in our education system. We teach percents in middle school, and then we wait and miraculously, they're supposed to be able to interpret percents of percents in some complex situation that involves possibly two-way tables or even thinking about like herd immunity. And they have no experience or um, skills in doing so. So this, this makes a place where we have to do something different in what we're teaching students.
0: Okay. So we look forward to your featured talk at OME 2021. Thank you, Gail, for talking to us tonight. And uh, we will see you in, in, or I guess, see you virtually in May.
3: Okay, great. Thanks for asking me to talk about this.
0: That was Gail Burrell giving us a sense of why data science is so important. Her session will be on Tuesday. And also speaking on the Tuesday is one of our regular OME featured speakers, Marion
1: Small.
4: Um, my name is Marion Small. I am an Ontarian who was a professor of mathematics education for many years. I'm retired now and I speak a lot and write lots of books about uh, K-12 math.
0: Okay, and this year you're one of our featured speakers at OME 2021. You have a featured session called What Do We Owe Our Students? I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that.
4: Absolutely. The theme of the conference is equity, and equity means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, But for me, I wanted to focus on the notion that equity is about ensuring that every single student has access to what I'm going to call high-level instruction from a teacher who has done the work to deeply consider what it means to teach the Ontario curriculum as intended, even if that teacher is a little bit uncomfortable in math. So when we read a curriculum document, we have to interpret it. We can interpret it, I'm going to call it light, or we can go really deeply in and say, what do they really want kids to understand? And I feel every child needs a teacher who does that work. So I believe the real question is what should parents, what should children, what should the system expect of teachers offering high level math instruction? And uh, I think that's what equity is all about, that every, every child is entitled to that. Now I mentioned that you could look at the curriculum light or you could what I'm gonna call get into the weeds And getting into the weeds for me means looking at a set of curriculum expectations at different grade levels and saying, what does this really mean? Like, what do we really want kids to understand? And what do I have to do as a teacher to make sure that I give those students everything that was intended And everything they need to be successful. So in this session, we will look very specifically at lots of different curriculum expectations at lots of different grade levels to do exactly that work.
0: Okay. So I'm going to play maybe devil's advocate a bit here. Okay. Do you think that teachers might hear that message and kind of get their back up a bit?
4: I hope not because our mission is for kids, and if we really believe that every kid has the right to high-level instruction, and I really do believe teachers all believe that, it means work for for us. Uh, there's really no way around it. Um, obviously, if teachers work together, it helps that work, and I would fully support that, but I don't think you could just say, "Ah, oh, whatever. Um, I don't think... I, I think kids deserve more than
0: that. And I, I think you're, I mean, I know you're right. You know, I always, ha, I mean, we always have to think of our kids as our clients in a way. You know, these, these are, you know, what, and if we don't go into our lessons with the idea of what is it that I want for my students instead of, I guess, you know, am I covering the curriculum? I think we're going to be better off.
4: And I think that um, what what it means is not just what do I want them to do but what do I want them to understand so I've done lots of sessions talking about the importance of understanding and clearly that will be a part of this as well.
0: Okay so we look forward to hearing from you virtually at our OME 2021 conference. Uh, Thank you Marion, for talking with us today.
4: It's great to do that.
0: And we'll see you in May.
4: Okay. Bye bye.
0: That was Marion Small taking on the conference theme of equity. Now at OME 2021, along with our regular breakout sessions, we have featured speakers and keynote speakers. Our featured speakers, like the ones we've just heard, are from sessions that are running alongside our regular breakout sessions. Our keynote speakers are a little different in that those are the only sessions happening at that time. First keynote occurs on the Monday and is from Dan Meyer.
5: Yeah. Hey, Ontario math folks. This is Dan Meyer. I'm so excited to be uh, virtually heading your way. Uh, This is quite a number of trips over the last few years. And I always love hanging out with you folks and learning with you. Um, I'm currently the chief academic officer at Desmos, where I think a lot about the future of math and education and and learning and all that. And I just love teaching, love learning and love math.
0: You are one of our keynote speakers at OME 2021. You've got a session called Math Without Mistakes. I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of an elevator pitch for your keynote there.
5: Yeah, look, I think you folks should show up to this one because I want to talk with you and learn with you also. Um, the deal is is there's 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 wrong answers in math class and there are mistakes, and those are two different things we often think are the same. It's a a big realization here that leads to effective teaching is that wrong answers often aren't mistakes. Like a mistake is when I don't do a thing I meant to do. I I meant to get off at the Lakeshore exit and I missed it. That's a mistake. But in math class, students are very often doing things that they mean to do that make sense to them. And when they offer us those answers, it's important not to ask, is this wrong? Or to say this is a mistake, but rather to say, how is this useful for learning? So we're going to spend a bunch of time um, thinking about productive ways to handle when students give a wrong answer that aren't saying to them ah, it's a mistake, you didn't mean the thing to do the thing you meant to do. So I'm curious, how
0: do you think you're different now uh, in dealing with student mistakes or errors or however we're going to label them compared to when you began as a teacher?
5: Yeah, I'm very concerned as a new teacher. Is this, is this answer correct? Is it incorrect? And if it's incorrect, I, I, I freak out a little bit because I, I do like kids, and I want them to feel good about their time with us together. So I, I get nervous. Like, how do I handle a wrong answer in a way that um, is is honoring to the student? And now at this point, what I what I want to do is ask questions that offer students lots of of ways to be right and wrong that are also interesting, so that even when a student gives a wrong answer. It's a, an answer that is interesting and useful for our class's learning process. So that's like creativity in asking questions that lead to more productive wrong answers. Um, and also as a teacher, hearing answers and, and less from an evaluative frame, is it right or wrong, and more for what can I do with this? How is this answer useful for all of us in the class?
0: Now I'm curious if you have any advice to a teacher who you know hears a wrong answer from the student and is struggling to find something positive to, to pull out of it?
5: Yeah. So if the, if the, if the wrong answer is, I want, I want to assume that the student has offered even minimal effort here. I'm just going to presume that for, for a moment. The student has answered a question honestly. Then that question comes from a place. comes from a place of, of, of brilliance and intelligence. Their brain is working. It's firing on cylinders, uh, at least a few. And so the, the key thing here for the teacher uh, to do is to say, all right, um, what is a student thinking about? And a productive move might be this to say, to say oh, okay, so that student answered a different question correctly what is that question? And when I hear a wrong answer and make myself go through that thought process, what question did this answer correctly? My brain expands, my, my ability to respond to student thinking expands, and the student's sense that I'm taking them seriously and value their, their work um, expands as well. So that's one kind of approach that we'll talk a bit more about, asking that question. Um, what question did this student answer correctly?
0: And so in that situation, do you like Tell the student, like, you know, I think you've actually answered this question. Can you elaborate more on the question I asked? Or how do you how would you how do you actually proceed in that in that situation?
5: Yeah, I'm trying not to get into one-on-one conversations around wrong answers. Ideally, this is we're gonna make this a class learning moment. And so if the student has said if if there's a wrong answer that exists, I'm gonna bring it to the class and say, here's an answer I'm seeing a bunch of. This is so interesting to me it's not right here i'm just going to declare it that it's not right with a, like it's not, it's not a shameful thing and but say this answers a different question correctly can you tell your elbow partner your neighbor whoever or think about it what question does this answer perfectly how would our original question have to change and oftentimes it's just a very subtle small change um in order for it to be correct. And in doing that again, the student feels like their wrong answer is no longer stigmatized. Um, they feel like they're, they're it's a valuable part of the class's learning moment. And the class, even students that got the question right, they're developing connections um, between different kind, th- different answers that, uh, that profit everybody.
0: All right, so to hear more about Math Without Mistakes, you're gonna come and see Dan Meyer virtually this year at uh, OME 2021. He's one of our keynotes. Dan, thanks for talking with us tonight.
5: Always a pleasure, David. Take care.
0: That was our Monday keynote speaker, Dan Meyer, talking about math without mistakes. And that will do it for this bonus episode of OME Talks. We've heard from featured speakers Ron Lancaster and Chris Surtam, Gail Burrell and Marion Small, along with keynote speaker Dan Meyer. Dan and Chris will be speaking on Monday. Ron, Gail and Marion will be speaking on Tuesday. And also note that most of our featured and keynote speakers are doing regular breakout sessions as well. Registration is currently open and filling up fast, so go to oame2021.ca for all the details. That link, as well as info about our guests, can be found in the podcast description. Next week, we'll hear from some more of our featured and keynote speakers,
3: so stay tuned for that and stay safe.